0: Welcome back to the 144th episode of the Daily Flip podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories including a lot of state lawmakers are switching from the Democrat to the Republican party, a article talking about Alito and how he should recuse himself from an interesting case coming up in the Supreme Court, and a interesting article about the fact that hedge funds are getting screwed by the economy and putting on shorts against lots of companies that are thriving. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So it's about the Overton window. This first article, I'll talk about the Overton window a lot. But have you seen personally or maybe anecdotally or maybe through media, But have you seen a shift in the Overton window of the populace of America? And on what issues have you seen it on? Because I could personally name one or two, maybe three, that you seek reporting about. But I haven't necessarily experienced many one-on-one interactions where people have drastically changed their opinion on certain things. Maybe it's because I'm not probing them properly. Maybe it's because they don't want to discuss it. Or maybe it's because they're not actually changing their opinions. I'm kind of curious to see what other people think because we are in an era of lots of transformation and maybe there are a lot of people shifting their opinions that I just don't know about. So if you have any anecdotes thrown down in the comment section, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. All right, let's jump into our first article that comes from The Daily Caller. State lawmakers across the country are ditching the Democrats for the GOP. So obviously when we start with a story like this, you're going to be asking a few key questions. Well, okay, are they switching in states that are hotly contested or are they switching in places that there's already a supermajority, they feel like they don't have an influence, they feel like they can't represent their constituents, so are they just switching so that their voice will actually be heard? Are they switching because the Democrats are changing their policies too much? And then also the other question is, well, hold on, hold on. This is obviously highlighting the... Democrats who are switching to Republican, but are the Republicans switching to Democrats? Well, I'm going to leave you on the hook for all those questions, because I specifically brought them up because they are mentioned in this article. So, let's give a little bit of light to the situation, and let's read a first quote from this article, and then we can discuss it a little bit more. Quote, in multiple states, Democratic legislators are switching their parties to become Republicans, citing the Democratic Party's left-wing shift and difficulty to accomplish policy goals, according to several reports. I didn't leave you on the hook that long. I mean, they pretty much highlight two of the things I was talking about. Quote, since 1994, 173 state legislators have changed their parties mid-term of which 83 were Democrats who became Republicans, while just 23 shifted the other direction, according to research by Politico. Since 2022, at least three legislators in West Virginia, North Carolina, and Louisiana who were elected as Democrats have joined the Republican benches with significant political consequences, end quote. So this is... If you're a Republican, this is a good thing. You're gaining some more constituents or at least you're gaining a few more votes in these houses. It may be some constituents who really like a particular uh, legislator or a particular candidate who were really with them and they didn't really care about their party affiliation and now that they're switching – the voter may be more aware. They may be more willing to stick with the Republican Party going into the future. This, of course, does you know, highlight some problems that may arise for these legislators who were only voted in because of the D next to their name. And the constituents may be like, whoa, 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 hold on. What do you mean? What do you mean? No, I wanted a Democrat in there. I didn't want a Republican. I wanted blah, blah, blah policy that's been enacted in my state by Democrats for years, not blah, blah, blah policy that's been enacted by Republicans. So we'll see long term how this pans out for them. But this is also a trend that we've seen on a national scale. I am extremely frustrated that I do not remember the representative from New Jersey who switched his affiliation from Democrat to Republican and got the. Endorsement. Ah, Van Dyke. Van Dyke. That's that's his last name. Well, it came to me in the mid sentence. Sorry. So he got the endorsement from Trump for switching parties. Of course, the article even points out that Jim Justice, when he was first elected, was a Democrat. When he was in the governor's mansion in West Virginia, but then guess what? He switched halfway through, and now he's a Republican, and he's running against Joe Manchin, a Democrat, in the race for the Senate seat in West Virginia or one of the Senate seats in West Virginia. So, We've seen this trend growing and growing and growing. And if you're a Republican you like to see it, hey, okay, great, we're growing our ranks. And if you're a Democrat, it's kind of frustrating. It's like, wait, hold on, we've poured resources. Not all these people probably got the same amount of resources. But some candidates are probably getting a good amount of resources from the DNC or the state Democratic Party. And then they get elected and they turn around and say, yeah, well, hey, thanks for backing me. But I'm gonna switch sides. That's really frustrating for a lot of Democratic operatives in some of these states and on the nationwide scale. So it's going to be I don't know if there's gonna be a loyalty test that is put in place or if if this happens a lot on either side, a lot of Republicans switch in the future when they go too far right on something, or a lot of Democrats switch even more when they go too far left on something in the future if there might be a like okay if you switch parties halfway through if we see this trend continue then we're going to require that you give back 50 percent of your contributions or the amount that we were giving you from the state party so on and so forth i don't know how that would necessarily work but when you have a trend like this when you have lots of different people switching parties and these parties are pouring those resources into those candidates. I could understand why they might want to put in an infrastructure like, OK, you are basically an investment. We are putting money into you to help us win this Senate seat so you can put forward Democratic legislation or Democrat party values and bills in order to help our movement grow our voter base and help our supporters who donate to our state party or our national party and then when that investment it's like saying hey we'll pay for your college degree you do the college degree program you get it you're with that company for the 2 years it takes and then you're like you know what i'm out i had this conversation with someone i know the other day which is they're having they had someone who Went through a very extensive program that was meant to educate them on how to be better at their job, and it's kind of an official accreditation in the industry. And then afterwards, they they left, and that can be extremely frustrating when you pour money into an investment, especially a person who you see promising, and then. They switch to a, another party or they decide to walk away from you. So I wouldn't be surprised if something to the effect of a, hey, you have to be with us for a certain amount of time or we're going to need a certain amount uh, or a certain proportion of the funds that we gave you back if you switch parties, if this trend does continue at this current clip. But the real thing that I want to talk about here and why I brought up the Overton window at the very, very beginning is because we need to have a serious, serious discussion, no matter what sides you're on, that if you are adopting people from the other side, you are shifting the Overton window. If you fully embrace them and solely allow them to operate within your party because they have an R next to their name, and you give them the full, not rights, because that's a really dicey term, but you give them The full support as a Republican candidate just because they claim that they wanted to switch sides and they came over to the Republican side. Well, guess what? Maybe they're a little bit more left on economic issues than you would like. Or if a Republican switch to Democrat, maybe they're a little bit more socially conservative than Democrats. Would like. So these sort of things need to be kept in mind because as we're seeing this trend of more and more Democrats going to the Republican side of the aisle, Republicans are, for the most part, embracing them with open arms. And they're saying, oh, yeah, 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 we understand you don't like some of these social issues. And it's a lot of social issues that are brought up in this article by the people who are quoted. It's the social issues. But what about on economic matters? What about on the amount of involvement in government in the average everyday consumers or constituents' life. If these sort of things are still held through a more democratic lens, if these beliefs are held that way, and they are still voting in that way when they join the Republican Party, then do you really want to accept them into the Republican Party? If you're trying to have a strong, not only conservative social values, but conservative economic values, smaller government less government spending, and you have people coming from the other side of the aisle who have the opposite values, but they agree with you on some social things, I I understand the compulsion to bring them in and say, hey, okay, you have a safe home here. We're going to help you out. We're going to support you because they are a symbol like, oh, yes, look at this person. We can hold up. This person used to be a Democrat, and they realize how insane the Democratic Party is. But also, if they're still voting against some of the interests of the Republican Party, then... That's not necessarily a good thing. And also, having these people be considered Republicans and shifting some of those previously Democratic voters voters to the Republican side of the aisle, not only does it shift the Overton window, it now makes some of those Democratic values more associated with the Republican Party, but also it leaves more of a power gap in the Democratic Party for more left-wing or further left candidates to come in because they're saying oh hey you guys are shedding off some moderate voters well in order to pick up some more voters maybe you should go for this block that's a little bit more progressive that's a little bit more young kind of like the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's so this is a serious serious concern it's something that needs to be thought about honestly I would be I would be a big fan not a third party in the sense that oh yeah we're just moderates and not a third party, like, oh, we're just libertarians. But maybe they could just be independents. Maybe these people, before really deciding to go to the Republican side of the aisle, then they are like Bernie Sanders. They say, hey, no, I'm actually an independent. I'll caucus with the Republicans sometimes. I'll caucus with the Democrats on other issues. Maybe that's a viable way forward. But it is a concern that was brought up by one of the candidates, the one that was running in West Virginia who switched parties after he won, that they don't necessarily have so much power. They don't have as much influence when they are part of a minority in the Democratic Party. And if they were to go independent, that would also be an issue. They would not have as much influence. Maybe they could be a crucial vote to put some proposal over the top or to get it over the veto proof majority so maybe they could still be like a cinema or a mansion and kind of flip-flop between sides and get concessions from both of them but they wouldn't have as much power And this is something that really concerned this next gentleman quote even if i were to run again and win i would look at another term of getting never getting another bill passed never getting anything done for the time I'm going to be there, I'm not going to sit there and be a lame duck and get nothing done," said Pritt. In comments reported to Politico, Pritt was preceded by former state delegate Mick Bates, who switched his party affiliation to Republican during the last session of the legislature in 2021. If you want to look this guy up, he's Delegate Elliot Pr- Pitt Pritt. Sorry, Elliot. Spelt the normal way, P R I T T. And I think that he gives a good insight into what's going on here and how some of these Democrats feel in some of these states. we have mentioned Louisiana and West Virginia. These are both states that have really, really Republican houses and, in some cases, really, really red Republican Senates as well. So they feel like they're not able to get anything done. They feel like they're sitting in the minority putting up a protest vote for no good reason. And they can't necessarily go across the aisle and work with the Republicans because the Republicans are saying, no, why would I want to work with the Democrats? So in order to actually have some of their proposals they care about get through that are not any of these dumb social issues that they, or at least how they see it as dumb social issues, they have to switch parties and then go and say, hey, I'm willing to work with you guys. I came away from these Democrats. Now let's get something done together that will help the people that I represent. So that really gives a good overall view of what's going on here. I just think that we need to be cautious. Any party who accepts people from the other side needs to be very cautious of the shifting of the Overton window. Now, to be clear, I'm working under the presumption that the Overton window is great how it is. Maybe the Overton window does need to be adjusted. Maybe it does need to shift very, very often. But I think that if you're a political operative on either side of the aisle— even though these people that are leaving those parties can be used as a hammer, as a giant endorsement of your message that the other party is obviously doing something wrong. If they have people shedding the moniker or the title given to them as a Democrat and going to the Republican side or inversely as a Republican and going to the Democrat side. Even if you want to hold them up and brag about them because they speak to something, they're more of a symbol, you also need to be sure that you're not losing the values, the core values that sit at the middle of your party by bringing in somebody who may really passionately disagree with you about really important core issues to your constituents. So it's just something to think about. All right, let's jump to our second article that comes from Common Dreams. Alito urged to recuse from case that could preemptively ban federal wealth tax. So there's two aspects to this story. And the first one is uh, Samuel Alito has friends. Those friends or this interview that he did with some people that he knows who are working on the opposite side of this case— implicate him as to being susceptible to other people's influences and maybe he should recuse himself in order to not appear biased and hurt the reputation of the court and we will focus on this one a little bit this side of the story just a little bit but that's not the side i care about as much i'm not going to lie to you what really got me stirred What got me angry, which got me a little bit frustrated with this article, was the section where they started talking about what this wealth tax would look like. And I know, I know, it's kind of a bait and switch with the title and what I'm choosing to focus on in this article, but I want you to actually hear what these people say. And when I say these people, these progressive activists who are trying to implement a certain type of wealth tax, which is... I don't want to frame this too heavily, honestly. Thinking about it, I don't want to bias you. I want to go in and let you hear what they have to say, and then I'm going to give my opinion so that I don't bias anything beforehand. So let's jump directly to this quote, and then we'll come back to the questions of whether or not he should recuse himself. Quote, Supporters of the Moore plaintiffs who are specifically challenging obscure foreign earnings provision in the 2017 Republican law have encouraged the Supreme Court to explicitly address the constitutionality of wealth taxes in its ruling. Quote, This case presents the court with an ideal opportunity to clarify that taxes on unrealized gains, such as wealth taxes, are direct taxes that are unconstitutional if not apportioned among the states. The right-wing Manhattan Institute argued in May in an amicus brief. Proponents of the tax on unrealized gains, such as Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, he's a Democrat, have expressed confidence that such taxes are constitutional. So you may be wondering, okay, Alex, you didn't actually get to the point there. I wanted to give a lay of the land. Now we're going to specifically talk about what they mean by unrealized gains tax. Quote, this case, which is mentioned in the passing of the article, which we'll come back to here in a second, write-up of the Alito interview, concerns whether unrealized gains such as stock appreciation can be subject to federal tax. Unrealized gains are currently untaxed in the U.S., allowing billionaires such as Tesla CEO Elon Musk to accumulate massive fortunes while paying little to nothing in federal income tax. So let's break it down one more time. We're going to go back to the key part here. Concerns whether unrealized gains such as stock appreciation should be subject to federal taxation. Okay. For those of you who did not take economic courses, who did not take business courses, who did not go through a securities course, you may be thinking, uh, yeah, I mean, it's appreciating a value. That's what they're saying. The, the, the value of the asset is going up. So why not get taxed on it? Let me ask you this. If the value of your house goes up, the property value goes up, you get taxed a little bit more, right? So it kind of seems to follow. But also, you have access to that house. You can use the house. You could very easily, very, very easily go through and show it to a friend. You can utilize all of the benefits of that house whenever you walk in. You can stay there in the AC. You can sit there and read a nice book. You can sleep calmly knowing that you're in a safe place. You can raise your kids there. You can take a nap there. You can realize or you can take advantage of all the benefits of that physical asset. But what are stocks? They're not physical assets for the most part in our digital age. But even if they weren't completely physical, can you actually utilize any of the benefits? If you sell a stock, then that is when you actually make income from it. If you sell it to a friend of yours and you get cash for it, which I'm pretty sure is not completely ethical and also it's not completely behind the government's back because you would actually have to transfer the name of the stock to that person meaning you'd probably have to go through a broker or you'd at least have to report it somewhere so you can't actually get away with anything if you're thinking that but what I'm getting at is the fictitious numbers that you see on the screen. If you have one share of Tesla and it's worth, I don't know the exact value nowadays but I think it's somewhere around $250 and it goes up to $270 on paper on the screen in the digital catalogs, you are $20 richer. Oh, yeah, baby. But can you go out to the store and utilize that $20? Can you go out to the store and buy a whole bunch of drinks for your friends for that night because you're suddenly $20 richer? No, it's an unrealized gain. It is a purely a paper gain. So then. Why should that be taxed? You haven't actually sold it yet. You haven't actually taken in the income from it. So why should it be a new form of income tax? This is honestly just a way to come after people who are extremely, extremely wealthy, who have a lot of value in a whole bunch of different shares of companies like Elon Musk, like Jeff Bezos, like lots of CEOs that have different stock option plans where they get paid part of their salary or maybe their bonus in Stock options. So that's one issue with it. They're trying to tax you on something that you actually can't gain the benefit from. If you're getting taxed on the money you get from your paycheck, that's fine. You know, if we're working under the framework that taxing the individual based on what the asset adds to their life, their value, their standard of living, it makes sense that, okay, you should tax the house because. It is adding to their standard of living. You should also, and they're probably using different public utilities. They are enjoying the common air, the common sunlight that we all share in the United States. And those are all public goods, so to some degree should be tax them. There could be plenty of arguments in that direction, but you can still actually benefit directly from that asset, just like you can directly benefit from the income that you get from your paycheck, these unrealized gains, they are just numbers on a screen. You, I mean, I guess maybe you get a little bit of social benefit being like, hey, Johnny, you see that? You see my investment account? It's up, you know, an extra $300. And then Johnny's going to say, yeah, great. But the second you pull it out, you're going to get taxed. And that's the second part of this, which is they're trying to double tax you. They're trying to double tax people who have stocks that go up in value. Because not only do you get taxed on the income or, sorry, the unrealized gain, the appreciation of the stock that you haven't even sold yet. So you can't even use the extra gain from that stock to pay off that tax. But also then when you sell that stock, you are going to have to pay income tax on it. So you're getting double taxed. And I'm pretty sure, I am pretty sure, and I'm going to use Neil deGrasse Tyson's phrasing here because I love it. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that we don't like double jeopardy and let's be clear i understand that they are very different frameworks double jeopardy in the legal sense versus double jeopardy in tax sense they're not even close to the same And it's honestly misusing the term a little bit but why should you get double taxed you're already going to get hit when you take out or sell those shares you're probably going to lose i believe the current the current tax on selling shares is somewhere around 27% depending on your income bracket. It has been almost a year since I was in my finance class. So take that with a grain of salt and it may be different in different States. I honestly don't know if that's the case, but on the federal level, I believe it's somewhere around 27%. And then you're also getting tax at maybe 21% depending on your income level on those unrealized gains. That's just slowly chipping away at that money that you are making, that wise investment that you are putting into the stock market. And will this encourage or discourage people from putting money into the stock market and supporting up-and-coming innovative companies? I've already established before that a lot of the stock market, a lot of the big brokers are using algorithms to track really short-term sales and make profits, You know, maybe in the cents, maybe in the low dollars, and they just do a whole bunch of them with algorithms and quants and even normal traders do this in order to make a good amount of money for their companies. So it's already a little bit disconnected from reality. But do we want to punish the people who still believe in the stock market as a way to invest in companies that they believe in by saying, well, if you believe in this company and they 100x in value, we're going to tax you on all of the unrealized gains, all of that extra money that you're getting on paper on the way up to the tippy-top of their share, and then when you decide to sell at the top of their share, we're also going to tax you for that. Do we really want to have that incentive in place? I think even if you want to move beyond the unconstitutionality question that's presented by some of the anti-wealth tax people, I think that it just doesn't make sense on an incentive level. If you want to come down of the framing that's unconstitutional, I agree with you 100 a 100%. But if you even want to appeal to the people that are a little bit more practical, is that an actual useful function of government? If you're a person who wants the government to be involved and help people out, do you think that's an appropriate way for the government to intervene in people's lives? I don't think so. I, I don't even subscribe to the belief that the government should be more involved in my life all the time. Some issues I do, some issues I don't. So, this is most definitely one where I come down against the entire argument. But if you do subscribe to that belief, do you really think this is a useful way for the government to intervene and tax people? I don't. I don't like taxes in the first place. I don't think anybody really loves taxes. But this just seems imprudent and putting the incentives in all the wrong places. All right. Now, let's talk about the Alito uh, part of this, whether he should recuse himself. I'm not going to read all the quotes because it's the normal back and forth grade school stuff. Oh, he did this and he did that and this person said this and this person said that and he should recuse himself. Should he recuse himself? Yes, recuse himself. I'm not even saying that 100% of their argument is on the grounds that, or are 100% solid on the grounds that they are claiming. What I'm going to say is recuse himself because i don't think he's going to matter i don't even think they're arguing that roberts should recuse himself i don't even think roberts will matter because if the conservative majority holds it'll come down four three and to be honest i don't think that kentonji brown jackson is going to come down on the side of the liberal justices i don't even know if So, to Mayor Will, honestly, because let's be clear, this court has voted all over the place in lots of different directions. And I'm pretty sure, as wealthy individuals, they all have a pretty, or sorry, they run in the circles of wealthy individuals. So, even if I believe that they would come down on this because it is unconstitutional to double tax somebody, I also believe that they have influences, subtle. As they may be around them, that would probably push back against this anyway. So I don't think if I think if everybody recuses himself except for three, they'll still come out a majority decision to actually come down on the side of not taxing people for the unrealized gains that they get from their stocks. But that's just my opinion on the matter. I could be so ignorant. Maybe Katanji Brown Jackson really, really wants to hurt a ex-person in her life who is a a big shareholder of Tesla or Microsoft and gained a lot of money over the last few years, and maybe she has a vendetta against them. I I honestly don't know. It, It could come out a different way, but I don't see it being very, very likely. All right. Well, that's gone through the two articles. The third article that I was going to touch today was about the Stock Market Rallying rallying, and Really Hurting Hedge Funds. I'm not going to read a quote from it, but I want to at least summarize the key idea in this article, which is hedge funds are getting stomped on. They are getting screwed over. And this is because a lot of them have been looking at the long-term outcome for some of these companies that people are investing in or some of the market index funds overall, and they've been shorting these positions. Meaning that they are saying, hey, this stock is going to go down, so we're going to loan out some of these shares, we're going to sell it to somebody, and then we're going to buy it back when that price eventually goes down so that we get to reap the reward. We actually get those Microsoft shares for a little bit cheaper than we sold them in the first place, and that extra income in between is their profit. Well, what happens when a lot of these companies tend to go up, when a lot of companies are shorting them, is in order to stop the losses that they're getting, because they bought at a very, they sold them at a very particular price and now they're going to have to buy them back at a higher price at the end of that contract. Well, they're losing money on that because, hey, well, we said in 10 months that we are going to buy them back from you and we think it's going to be at a cheaper rate, so that's why we're willing to sell at this certain price. And as the stock continues to go up, now they're actually going to have to pay more than they sold them for, so they lose money. That's a, not a great explanation. If you want to look up shorts, short positions and long positions, they can give an even better idea of what's going on here. But as those positions are becoming untenable as the price keeps rising and their possibility of losing money keeps growing, they say, OK, whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to stop the train now. We got to make sure that we buy these back before they get too expensive and our losses are not crazy high. Well, guess what? In order to do that, you have to buy the shares when you buy the shares, especially when these huge hedge funds are doing such large, short positions, you're buying the shares, which then juices up the price again. So you have a lot of these investors who are saying, oh my goodness, we're going to have to buy this company that we are trying to short. And then a lot of the outside investors are saying, oh goodness, here we come. Here comes the juice because all these short positions are going to get sold here very, very soon meaning the share price is going to continue to go up and other hedge funds that haven't gotten out yet are getting raffle stomped. It's kind of like what happened when you had the Wall Street Bets incident. If you're a little bit older, you may not know about this one. And if you're a younger person who wasn't interested in the stock market back when everything was happening during COVID, you had Wall Street Bets, a Reddit page that said, hey, let's all buy this share, that a share of GameStop, for instance, that the hedge funds are shorting. So then, as a whole mass wave of young investors came onto the market, they bought a whole bunch of shares of GameStop. A lot of these hedge funds had to sell their short positions, so it jumped. And then more people, the kids, were like, oh, wow, we're having an actual impact. So more of them bought shares. And then more hedge funds got scared and they jumped out. And then guess what? The stock price jumped again. So we're seeing not onto the same scale, but we're seeing a lot of these sort of moves happening in the market and hedge funds are losing a lot of money. And that's what this article was describing. But the Wall Street Journal does a better job of describing it than I ever could. So if you want to read this article or any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button where you can find all of it. But normally that's the end. But hey, hey, I have one more thing for you. Of course, our daily delight. And this one comes from TMZ. World Dog Surfing Championships Poaches Hang, pooches hang 10. Kawabarka. And whoever wrote this article titled, you think you're clever. And it is it is kind of cute, but you think you're clever. Just, just say that this is the surf puppy championship of the world, I guess. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing, and I guess I clicked on it, so it obviously worked. Quote, leave the leash treats, toys, and water bottles at home. These dogs are totally content on riding waves and... For some pretty cute picks, too, and honestly, some of these guys are really talented. They're, you know, they're leaning down, they're really getting into it. They look like they know what they're doing. They look really stable. Maybe it's for that half second that the camera was out, but I think it's really cool to see these dogs talented like this. Quote. The annual World Dog Surfing Championship went down near San Francisco Saturday and it featured tons of pooches who threw on their vests and went out to catch some waves, all in the name of charity and good fun. And like I said, if you want to read this article or any of the other ones, they are in the link below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip. Yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. I will not call it X. And from there, you can listen to the Twitter tirades that come out on Tuesday and Thursday. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.